guys. Uh, welcome to Dailies. A film podcast. So, today's a special episode, right? Yes. Robert and I got uh, plenty of movies to talk about. We are doing a retrospective on the Savannah Film Festival. We are. Um, we got to see a lot of exclusive stuff. Some stuff still has yet to come out. A lot of art house films, some genre films, a lot of really cool films. Yeah, so we're going to get a large variety of genres and, uh, you know, styles. So um, Let's where should we it. start? Where should we start? <laughs> well, I think we should go through a chronological order. Okay, cool. We'll sort we of, we'll kind of go day through day. We got to see movies pretty much every day for the past week. Um, yeah. It was uh, overwhelming, to say the least. Overwhelming. We were running off entirely. Uh, we're mm. running entirely off cups of coffee. Yeah, it was Shen- we were on our our film student shenanigans. So yeah, um, yeah. So I guess we can start with Cold War, which is Cold War, the first movie we saw by uh, directed by Pavel Pavlikowski. It was a great open to the festival. Yeah, I think I'm I'm really glad that I got to catch this first. Um, you know, I've, I'm a fan of Pavlikowski since Ida. I haven't seen a lot of his other work. I've been meaning to, but. I made it a priority to get there as soon as I could. Uh, I was on set that day, and I ran over all the way there to uh, catch it. So, well, I was really impressed by the technical prowess on the, the technical, I guess, ability that he showed on either. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't so much a fan of that film. But Cold War turned me over for sure. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely he's got a mastery of the craft at this point, and it's really evident in this film. Um, I mean. I unfortunately had to miss the first five, ten minutes, something like that. But, I mean, I came out of it knowing it was, you know, stronger than anything else he's done, I think. Okay, so let's let's give you, I guess, a summary of Cold War. A spoiler-free summary, of course. Mm. It's, it just explores the relationship of two really interesting characters over a couple of years. In I'm not sure of the exact date. But I, I guess want to say the 50s it's the, the 50s. 50s. Yeah. yeah, the 50s, 50s into the yeah. 60s. So. And the lead male character is a pianist. And the lead female character is a singer. And they work together for a while and just meet themselves at mm-hmm. different points in their lives in different countries. They always get separated but always come back together. And, I mean, this film just grips you. The music, the atmosphere, yeah. the gorgeous black Everything and white cinematography. It. It's... Mm-hmm. It's amazing. I mean, all the all the sort of elements of the film just tap into that sort of star-crossed lovers romance that uh, that really, I mean, is at the core of the film. Um, I mean, like you said, everything about the music, about the cinematography, it was a great way to open the festival, and I couldn't yeah. ask for anything uh, more. So let's do this. What was your favorite thing? Okay. And if you want to, your least favorite thing about the film. Okay, cool. So, um, hmm, that's a toughie. Like my favorite scene or like my favorite Just your aspect? favorite thing about favorite it. Thing Why about should it? people go see this? Okay. If I had to convince someone to go see this beautiful movie, um, it would be for... There's, there's, there's a couple of scenes that are just... They blow you away in the way they use music and the... Um, and the mise-en-scene of the actual uh, scene taking place. Um, I mean, uh, there's so much beautiful cinematography in this film. I think really that's my highlight. Um, The cinematography and the way that the director uses the camera in such a controlled and um, 
decisive way um, is is what kind of you know drew me to this film. I think so. That's I guess my favorite thing yeah, about it. Yeah, that's your it. pitch. It's very controlled and beautiful to look at. I like that. That's okay. a good way to put it. I mean, it's mostly the same for me. Why, if I was telling anyone to go see this, I would definitely recommend them to see this because the film just has a great atmosphere. There's this Polish folk song that sort of evolves as the film goes mm-hmm. along. And that song is just amazing. And the lead actress, she's just like, she's just amazing to look at. And the relationship that, you know, that um blossoms between them, it's interesting how it evolves over the course of the film. So my favorite thing is definitely just the mood, the atmosphere of the film and the way yeah the way it was shot and the way it's put together i think it would definitely incite emotions in you the viewer it's a film that's very sort of emotional but not in a way that's can i change mine to the mood (laughs) because i I really agree with the atmosphere it's it's such a huge uh thing for me it was so immersive to be in that world with these two characters it puts you in the world it does yes so. And if I were to mention something that was my least favorite thing, I'd say the relationship between the two characters it was explored better at the end. I don't want to say the end of their relationship. Mm-hmm. I don't want to give any spoilers. But I'd say we don't really see let me put it this way. So we have the beginning, the middle and the end of the relationship. And I think a really important part of the relationship would have been the place that was I mean the moments that were between the beginning and the middle. Mm. And we don't really see that. We jump from the beginning. Oh, like the growth, you to mean? To the middle. Yeah, okay. we don't see that growth from the beginning to the middle. Okay. And I think it sort of draws the film back a bit. But still, it's a very beautiful film. It's hard for me to talk about that uh, because I missed like the first 10 or so minutes of the film. I'm not even sure. I mean, I know how they met. And, uh, you know, you get a very general gist of it, you know, immediately afterwards. Um but I guess I can agree that um, maybe the relationship... I mean, they focus on very specific events in their lives yes. because it's taking place over such a large amount of time. That's a large um, scale. Yeah, so it's definitely like a large-scale timeline we're looking at here. So I don't know if I can say it's a negative for me. Um, I guess the only negative for me is that it isn't longer. <laughs> longer? I actually kind oh, of yes. wanted I mean- it to be longer um i wanted to spend more time in the relationship um because i mean their chemistry the leads uh, i can't remember their names right now it's phenomenal yeah and it's so natural besides their relationship the world that is created there, mm-hmm. it's also sort of alluring yes absolutely there's one there's one scene that i will say is probably my favorite scene of the year um which one well i don't want to spoil it so but it takes i'll just mention it involves a boat and it's very uh, solemn and quiet, but it's, yes, it's the most atmospheric scene I think I've experienced all year. Um, so I really need to rewatch this movie because I want to experience it in full. I have to. Yeah. I am so going to. I'm really excited. It's been nominated for, uh, or I think it's being pushed for the uh, foreign yes, nomination. Yes, for, for the, the foreign Oscar. nomination. And yeah. it will come into Amazon Prime in 2019. Excellent. So, yeah, I think I'm going to buy this one for sure uh, if I can. Two thumbs up from me. Same for me. Okay, cool. So I guess we can move on to the. Roma. Uh, th- that was the big uh, opening night. Uh, yes, that was the first yeah. gala screening mm-hmm. at the Savannah Film big Festival. Big deal, very popular. Roma, 
What do you think about Roma? Well, I mean, uh, Cuaron is he's at the height of his power here, but it's totally different from anything else I've seen from him. Um, I mean, you know, there's there was a lot of expectation that I had before seeing it. I guess we should give the synopsis really quick. Um, basically, this is sort of um, a personal film for uh, Alfonso Cuaron. It's based off of his childhood and the maid that served his family during the 70s. Yes. We agree with that. Yes, the 70, uh, 70s in Mexico City. And it's a very sweeping, large-scale look at um, this sort of family and the personal life of this maid. And, um, you know, there's really tragic and historical events that occur throughout. And it's it's very it's very long. It's very powerful. And, um, yeah. Yes. So. My relationship with Quaron is maybe a bit different from yours. Okay. So I've seen Gravity. Mm-hmm. I've seen... The Prisoner of Azkaban. Okay. Yeah. I've seen... I always forget he did that. So, those are the two films that I've seen. Uh, that's that's it. I've never seen Children of Men. Okay. And I've only seen clips of you to Mama Tambion. Okay. So... So, I didn't know exactly what to expect yeah. when I saw this film. But so you definitely get the sense that you're watching a master at work. Yeah. Because this film has a grand and epic skill. And there's something that I think works for it and also works against it. So the camera never goes too close to the characters. Mm-hmm. You're sort of put in the in the point of view of an observer, sort of like an omnipotent observer, just observing all these people. Yeah, it's very and it's this like godlike sort of. Yes, it's godlike. So yeah. it adds to the scale, but at the same time, it also feels a bit a bit clinical, mm. I guess, and very sterile. The word I don't know. It sort of makes you feel a bit distant from the characters. Mm. So it works for it and also works against it at the same time. But the story is definitely... I wouldn't say there's much of a story personally, but it's... Oh, there's definitely a story. It's, it's, yeah, I mean, there, there are stories. Okay. I would say. Like, personally, I would say there are stories. And it's more of a... It's a character study. I mean, yes. it, it is. It's just presented at such a grand scale that it seems unfamiliar. So it's... I mean, the way it feels for me is that it's a story about... It's a story about this maid. But you're watching from the perspective of an observer who maybe has a foggy memory and mm. it's just scenes that are pulled together from her life and the lives of the people around her. And it's it's very interesting. Yeah, it's it's not honestly, I actually ex- expected it to be less this omnipotent sort of um, omniscient like uh, camera that we're presented with, the godlike perspective. Um, I actually thought it was going to get a lot more close to the characters and personal that way. But I think, and this might just, this is me theorizing, but um, I think it speaks to Quaron's sort of childhood experience. It definitely his, feels authentically like a childhood yeah, experience it's, that you're it's watching this, that. It's this degree of separation. He, I don't know what his relationship was with his maid, but she, from what I understood with the interviews and uh, things I've read, um, you know, she practically raised him and his uh, siblings um but the camera and the way it's presented i wouldn't feel that way um you know so i kind of understand it's it is this sort of clinical uh view of a family it's distanced um but at the same time i really don't know how else you could present such a huge scale i mean this this film is so sweeping it's not just about the this mise-en-scene family is yeah insane it's not just scenes. about this family all the mise-en-scene it's 
It's driving this atmosphere of what living in 70s Mexico City was really like and what society was dealing with at the time. Um, and there's a, I'll say there's a very Fellini-esque quality to it. There's a lot of Fellini in this film. Fellini's Roma and some of the stuff in La Dolce Vita I'm reminded mm-hmm. of when I watch this film. Yeah. Um, there's a, there's, I mean, there's so many influences in this film. Uh, a lot of them, you know, the, what I consider to be the masters. Um, I really need to revisit this because it, it is a very challenging film. It is. I think, um, I mean, I personally would never think to say, hey, I need to rewatch any of other, you know, Cuaron movies because Children of Men, Itu Tu Mama Tambien, they're very um, straightforward and you understand them after a single watch. It's this sort of uh, singular experience. This one, uh, it's a little more puzzling for me yeah I, and this this is not a movie for tv for a no, small screen I, like is, if you have a chance to see it in the theater just yeah, go see it this needs to be seen in a theater i know the whole netflix rollout is is a big deal and it's probably going to give them make a lot of money uh for them um but i i like i can't see myself even watching this on my on my screen it's so big it's a huge statement it is it is and one interesting bit of information which we were privy to at the Q&A with the lead actress, mm. Yalitza. Yes. I think that's how it's pronounced. Um, she yeah. did, Both she never planned to be an actress. Yeah. Yes. And she simply went to check out the audition because her sister couldn't make the audition. Mm-hmm. And she just went to check it out randomly. And Quaron liked that and she got the part. Yeah. And I think that's insane. Quaron was crazy with this film and the production story behind it. So they, they kind of elaborated on this. I'm sure. Yeah, the film was shot in chronological, chronological order. Chronological order. The non actor lead was not privy to the information she would be acting the scenes on were improvised. until the day they shot. Yeah. Um, I you know, the producer for the film mentioned that the production designer was ready to kill Quaron. <laughs> I can I can totally understand that, but I mean, it's it's a it's a very different kind of film, so I'm sure it involved a different workflow. Um, you so, know, um, favorite thing, or if you mm. also have something, least favorite thing. Okay, my favorite thing is definitely the epic sweeping uh, take on '70s Mexico City. There are some scenes in there. I mean, uh, you know, separate from the characters in the story. Um, that are that speak to um what impacted him as a director as a child i mean there's like there's i don't want to spoil anything uh but there's there's some very large scale grandiose scenes involving many people um and they're they're all they're pretty tragic um i would say but those moments and especially the end i need to rewatch the movie because the end is like it was very potent for me and I don't think I, I was expecting it as much. Um, but for me, the highlight is definitely the, those, those large scale, uh, scenes that are sort of, uh, being driven towards from the get go of the film. Um, yeah. And you know, those are the ones that echo most of Fellini and of, of all these amazing directors. So yeah, same, honestly, it's the same for me. I was thinking of two scenes in particular, there's a scene on the beach mm-hmm. where a child, mm. something happens no, to no someone. Spoilers. No spoilers. <laughs> um, that scene was very, it was very quiet, but at the same time, very challenging because you are hearing these large sounds coming from mm-hmm. the waves and the water, and there's something about that that was just, it just made you, it just made me think about how small we are. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Opposition to the universe or whatever. 
And there was also another scene, which was... The Orchards? This is almost a spoiler. This one wasn't so grand, but it's okay. also... There's a scene in the hospital. That's okay. what I'll say. Okay, all right. We'll yeah. drop it there because anything see else happen. is too much. Yeah. <laughs> and it's also... It's also something, it's it's one of the smaller scenes I'll see in the film, but it also makes you think about the bigger picture. Yeah. I mean, That's it's, it's it. incredibly tragic, but at the same time, it's very beautiful, uh, the way that he handled it. I mean, it's very human. Um, there's something like, uh, that one was probably the most challenging of the movie, I would say, especially mm-hmm. for the audiences, because yeah. I was not expecting that. Um, but yeah. Yeah, if I was saying um least favorite, which I already mentioned, was that distance. But I think that distance was necessary for this film to be what mm-hmm. it is. But at the same time, I wish we were closer in on the story, and I wish the story was more structured. But this is a different kind of film, which I guess should exist and mm-hmm. needs to exist. Having that sort of fragmented but still connected structure was necessary for it. I, I, I always prefer the ones that are yeah. maybe a bit straightforward. I have to say that this is unlike most uh, Western cinema. Um, Definitely, this is this is. Um, I mean, this is like calling back to to like you know, so many different movements that were happening in Europe and stuff. I mean, you can feel all these influences tangible. But it's also a very Mexican film. It's so Mexican. Yeah. It's. I mean, I. I I don't know what else to say. It's Mexico City, the movie. Um, mm-hmm. I've only been there twice myself, but like this makes me want to to dream about Mexico City. So it's the a, film is a dream. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so feels I th- like a dream. I think um, my least favorite part. There's a way that the camera, the camera moves in this film, that I think is not utilized to its fullest potential. Yeah, he made a very bold choice to use only yeah pans. <clears throat> That's a spoiler, by the way. It's a spoiler, I guess. Um, <laughs> But I mean, well, there's 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 other movements, uh, you know, in the film, and the fact that there are others makes me question why he deci- he opted for this. I mean, I understand it it is unique and uh, it it does work for many of the scenes, but there are others where I'm like not as convinced about the uh, efficiency of that for the for the storytelling purposes and the aesthetic he's going for. Um, I mean, really, that's uh, the acting. Everything is, I mean, it's really well done. Fantastic. He did the cinematography himself. He took notes from Lubezki all these years, I guess. Um, you know, it's very ambitious. I, I, It's another film I'll have to revisit in the future. So. Oh, and one thing I would mention is that there was no, this was, I don't know if this was a conscious choice by Quaron, but there was no, I would say maybe a positive male character in the story it's mm. he made this film about the woman in his life mm-hmm. so that's something you should keep in mind when you go see it i guess well aside from the children but i mean they're yes they're the children mo- which is bizarre are being affected by yeah all these things around mm-hmm. them they're mo- they're definitely like sort of uh casualties to the events of the movie yes um definitely y- there's there's so many difficult statements that that you have to deal with with this film yeah, uh, it's but it's very personal film. i mean i can't imagine making a movie like this about my family um so yeah i i enjoyed it um you know i have to revisit it like most of the movies we're going to talk about here <laughs> um, well most of them not all of them um because we're going to move on to the front runner which you saw 
The front runner, yes, I saw the front runner. Okay. We both saw it, right? I did not. I Oh, I, you did not. No, okay. last Jason Reitman I saw was Tully, and I was supposed to see this because Hugh Jackman was here, uh, but plans got changed, and you were the only one to catch it. So, give me the your front two cents. Runner, this was actually my first Jason Reitman film. Okay. Okay? He didn't do the Anchorman, did he? No. No. Okay, so this was my first, because I haven't seen Juno, I haven't seen Tully. Mm. And... It's definitely an interesting film. It's first off, I'll mention this that I missed an important scene oh, because God. I went I went out to go get popcorn, <laughs> so I missed the scene Classic. which happens in the boat, and there was something really interesting that happened in that scene, which I heard about, but I won't talk about that. But the rest of the film, it's a very energetic style of filmmaking. It reminds me of Catherine Bigelow's films, sort of like um Detroit. Okay, very active. Yeah, it's very active. And, yeah. There's a lot of I mean, this has been talked about, the use of sound design in the film where they recorded about 100 lines of extras dialogue. Wow. And you're hearing all these things in the film. And um, it's a film that's very, maybe outdated, but not in a bad mm. way. Okay. Right? It's going back in time to sort of think about the origins of a lot of political discussions that are going on right. now. And... The film asks a question, which is, should political leaders be put up to as much scrutiny mm. as they are now? And that question is not necessarily answered at the end of the film. And it was a conscious choice by, by Reitman. Jason Reitman okay. to do this. Did he write this himself? Ask us or? this question. I think he co-wrote it with okay. a bunch of people. Gotcha. But um, it was, I mean, the cinematography was pretty much standard, but there was a lot of energy in it. Mm -hmm. It's a standard film in many ways. Hugh Jackman gives a great performance. People complain about Vera Farmiga, but I think she was also really good. Mm -hmm. She um, works well with, with Reitman. She's worked on several of his films. So Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much a film that wouldn't disappoint you. Okay. But I wouldn't say it would be a favorite for you. Yeah, um, it seemed very safe, and I'm not super sold on the content, though I love Jackman. And the production design looked pretty cool, too. Um, I've heard, actually, comparisons to, or at least trying to rip off Altman uh, in terms of aesthetic. I'm not familiar with Altman, okay. but I've heard about that also. Okay. Um, favorite thing about the movie was definitely the energy. Um, least favorite thing. I don't think there was anything that hits me strongly that I was thinking, oh, this held it back. I mean, yeah. the film is just what it is. Okay, yeah. so... Not not as uh, impactful, so to not speak. Not as impactful. Yeah. Okay, no. cool. Um, well, I saw a movie that he didn't see, too. Uh, I saw The Price of Everything the following day. Remind me what that film's about. So this was a documentary by Nathaniel Kahn, who's the son of architect something Kahn, who I can't remember. <laughs> um, he, he first sort of came onto the uh, film scene with his uh, documentary on his father and uh, architecture and work. Uh, called My Architect. That came out, I think, three or four years ago, maybe. Maybe more than that. Um, and this new film, The Price of Everything, is uh, Nathan Nathaniel uh, sort of looking at the contemporary art scene, how it's changed, how it's evolved, and how sort of money and people play a factor in the uh, market. Um, it's very much and a... free food? Uh, I'm sorry? I say I'm free food, I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, there's like... I want to say he's being critical um, of much of what goes behind the scenes in the art uh, trading 
world, I think his, his most potent statement is that um, he mentions people know the price of everything, uh, but don't know the value of anything. It was something close to that. That's what the title comes from. Um, and it's, you know, very potent in terms of the characters featured in the documentary. There are some great characters in this. Um, you have, uh, you know, some some leftover contemporary artists uh, from the previous era uh, coming to speak about these uh, things because contemporary um, art is sort of this in this strange postmodern atmosphere thing. yeah and and things um that are so hyper valued and uh it's it's like most of the artwork of of our era is we don't own it it belongs so so the way that uh the documentary is structured is it introduces us to a lot of these contemporary artists and it gives us a feel for how museums and uh private collectors acquire um, collections from artists and um, there's like this this really uh, factual statement being made that much of the art and contemporary uh, postmodern art especially uh, that is being sold today no museums can afford it um, it's it's being bought by private collectors and most of the public will never you know see that art because it belongs to someone that can afford it um, and it's this very strange. So there's a lot of art that is never shown. There's, there's most of the art that is being made today will probably never be seen by the public because it is being bought at such extravagant prices by people that can afford these private collections. So is it possible that there are artworks made by some of well, my favorite artists which there, I've never seen before? So there are, um, you know, it talks about how how sort of these uh, players. Um, you know, mess with the value of artists. Um, like someone makes a painting, um, a, a private collector or a, um, um, you know, a gallery will acquire it and try to auction it off. And that painting might have, I mean, that painter may have never made money on her paintings before. But if someone, if, if something catches someone's eye and it is extremely um, marked up in price, uh, and then their artwork is now a um, a sort of hyper capitalistic commodity that is being bought by like uh, you know the most um, uh, you know powerful people that can afford it. And but I hope the artists are making but that's money the, from. That's what I mean. Well, some of them do, some of them don't. Um, a lot of them actually they sell art. It's acquired by a collection or gallery or museum. Afterwards, it's sold off again. Someone buys it for an incredibly large price, and then the value of the painting will become even greater, sculpture or whatever postmodern art piece uh, it is. And then that, that, that artist isn't making the money anymore. Now it's the private collectors and art dealers that are. Yeah. So it's this very strange dichotomy that, that is you know, happening in, uh, in the sort of modern art world, and a lot of critics and museums don't like this because, and I... I mean, I think that's Nathaniel Kahn's sort of uh, message is that does this need to be changed? Uh, sh you know, who should have access and define the price of art uh, today? And, It'd be um, very tough to change, I think. Mm -hmm. It's, I mean, people like, um, what's his name? Coons. You know, Jeff the, Coons. Yeah, Jeff Coons, he's in this film too. He doesn't even make his own art, and it's the most expensive art in the world ever sold. 
you know, you have people like Damien Hirst that make all these strange, you know, art pieces and nobody can afford it except the highest bidder. So um, it's a very, I don't know how I feel about it just yet, but the uh, documentary sheds a lot of light on it. Um, I will say I'm not a huge fan of some of the documentary style work that's being uh, used here. Um, uh, it gets its point across and there's some interesting stuff that you learn about if you're not familiar with contemporary art. Um, so I saw it out of my appreciation for the art scene in the art world. Um, and uh, it definitely gave me a couple ideas on stuff. So, you know, check it out yeah. if you want. I think that's going to be up on HBO. It's a, uh, it's an original documentary from their, uh, you know, department. So, interesting. Mm -hmm. So, our next film. Oh boy. Next film is Destroyer. 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 Yeah. A very interesting watch. Let's get right into it, I guess. Um, Destroyer is about <laughs> a detective. <laughs> okay. Who is sort of fighting with trauma that she has. You're being really nice to this inherited movie right now. <laughs> from a prior case. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's dealing with demons from a prior case. And that's the best way to put it. That's literally what the film is. Yeah. So the film does something interesting, something very, very interesting structurally, right? Yeah. Oh, you mean like in terms of how the, the plot is? Yeah, the structure. Working. In terms okay. of how it's structured. And it has all the right ingredients that I think could make a great heist film. But mm. this film had a lot of, I would say, misdirection mm -hmm. in in certain ways. Um, some of the direction here is good. Like in the, there's a robbery scene that I think is somewhat well-directed. But then even though the film, the film generally is directed well, but there's a strong sense of misdirection mm -hmm. as much as that makes sense. No, I, I completely agree. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's mishandled by the director specifically um, for this film. Because, I mean, there, there there are a lot of good ideas here that aren't... Um, I mean, I have to say it's also the script. I don't know who wrote it. Did she write it? I don't think she wrote it. Okay, no. well, the script is its own problem. Um, but the way that the, the sort of the actors and the blocking and the the general uh, atmosphere that we're getting from a lot of the dialogue and uh, the scenes that occurred in this movie, they feel just confused. Yeah, and confused. That's yeah. the word. So the lead character here is very, it's a very unlikable character, I'd say. Mm -hmm. There are some steps or some decisions that the director makes, which are very odd. The character does some things in this film, even in the first 15 minutes that I just absurd i think they're and wildly unmotivated and unnatural for the for the film i think at least what, what yeah. it's trying to be and the section of the film which is supposed to humanize her which is a romantic subplot it doesn't feel oh, it doesn't feel real it's not fleshed out in the it, because it's the time and the pacing of the movie is mismanaged too and i don't know if it was all for the sake of the you know sort of plot twist or narrative structure that she has going on but um, it works against it for me. And it's also a film that I struggle to see why it was made. I struggle to see why anyone would have been passionate about this story because at the end, it doesn't really say anything. No. I mean, it there's, it's not... It's it, it's like this character study masquerading itself as something grander than it is. And um, 
you know, and it's it's not even a good character yeah, study. It's, it's not an interesting character. Yeah, um, that's what I'll say. I mean, there's it's too much. There's a lot of exposition, and the dialogue is utterly con- like confusing at points and frustrating. Um, because I don't even know what they're trying to say at the end of a 10-minute talk. You know what I mean? I need to know what what information you're trying to give me here about the characters. Yeah. Um, you know. But I, I think some people would like this. I think there's... I definitely see some people liking this. Some people did like it. And... What I understand. Yeah, some people did so, like it. you know, I mean, it has a unique uh, tone to it. Um, I just wish the, the movie was good. Because, <laughs> you know, there's stuff that you can dig out of that, I'm sure. Um, there's decent cinematography for the most part most part i don't know how they got the cast that they did because a lot of them are extremely talented and this movie does not deserve them <laughs> yeah and i think i think the makeup on nicole kinman's mm. character was distracting yeah it's a little it bit was. it's it's a bit much mm-hmm. and then there's a character here called silas i think yeah I don't want to say it was miscast, but there was just something odd about his performance. Well, I and he was supposed to be one of the most menacing characters in the film. Yeah, but it didn't work. I think. I don't know. This is just a very bizarrely handled uh, script. I will say that um, at least the plot twist was kind of unique. Yes, um, the plot twist is something. Yeah, you know, she's reaching she's reaching for something there and you know, the ending itself which oh my god did it drag on. Um <laughs> this, those are like the the longest oh 5 or god. 10 minutes that I've ever I don't know. I've ever had to be <laughs> that I've ever been subjected to. Yeah. It was excruciating for a lot of the audience too. We could tell. Um but I mean, you know, she's she's reaching for something that she hasn't mastered yet from how I interpreted the movie. Um Yeah, I think it's the script. I think it's the script. I think a lot of it is the script, and then and then how it's been translated, in a, you know, in this sort of um, non chronological. Well, okay, because it's. I mean, it's. I don't want to spoil it. Hold yeah, on. don't spoil it. But um, let me let me cut that. I out. think it's definitely a, a strong director who knows how to sort of present the film. Mm-hmm. She knows how to present the film, but there were just yeah I things that were missing. So yeah, the right place. thumbs down for me. <laughs> favorite thing, least favorite thing. Favorite thing. I mean, there's one, there's one scene that's really brief, that's beautiful, and really holds barely any significance. Um, you know, they try to have it bear significance through this sort of expository uh, conversation in a bar, um, but uh, you know, it's sort of this flashback. It's very well shot. It's it's got a super unique uh, atmosphere to it, and. I don't know. Visually, it was cool. I really didn't like a lot of. I'm this trying movie. to remember the scene back. I remember, but it's all good. Yeah, I'll I'll remind you later. <laughs> well, um, favorite least favorite for me, my favorite thing was I don't know the origin of this style of shots, but I'm going to attribute it to Barry Jenkins. Okay, so the shots in Moonlight that are sort of like first person, not first person. They are fourth wall breaking shots. You mean looking the at characters the looking? Yeah, the characters looking to the camera. Wow. Well, that's. Everyone's done that. I'm just gonna have to the Barry Jenkins, okay? buddy, but <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, there are these shots where there's like a group of armed robbers and they're taking off their masks and looking into the camera in slow motion. I thought the shots were amazing. Okay. I thought they were amazing. Um, least favorite thing. I mean, there's so much, but I'm just gonna <laughs> say, um, 
I'm just going to say that this film, a lot of it just felt unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what I'm going to say. Yeah. yeah. I didn't but, believe any of the dialogue. I was like, I'm, I don't buy it, you know? Yeah. It's unnatural. Um, but yeah. Moving on to Mirai, which is Mirai, a film that I did not yes. see. Uh, so I'm a Mamoru Hosoda fanboy who directed this. Uh, he's an uh, animation director from Japan. He did his most known work is uh, Wolf Children, which is a masterpiece. Highly recommend everyone see it. Um, his last film before this was The Boy and the Beast, which I was kind of mixed on. This one I think I liked even less, um, which is kind of disappointing because I had high hopes for this. There's a lot of unique stuff that uh, is being toyed with in this film. Um, I think it's a little... The, the ending, um, at least the last third of the film, is pretty well done. Um, I think, uh, you know, there's this whole dynamic with time and the characters it's being played with. Um, basically, the synopsis is about a little boy um, whose uh, mother gives birth to his sister. And he's learning to deal with the arrival of a, sib- of a sibling in his life and what that means in terms of you know the attention he gets from his parents and what it's doing to his parents, etc. Um, so it's it's a really cool, unique um, sort of um, take on that, and I kind of wanted more out of it. Um, it sort of plays too much with the supernatural elements, and I think a lot of it could could have been cut down for more uh, family interaction. Um, there's um there's one scene in particular near the end that echoes a lot of Miyazaki and uh, Ghibli movies that is really really awesome, um and the relationship between the main character and his sister who he encounters as like an older person through this sort of time, uh, warping kind of uh, situation that is in their house, um it's really well done um you know does it feel modern or more Oh, it's definitely modern. I mean, it feels like a lot of Hosoda's recent work. If if any of you've seen it, um, it's. I mean, you like the direction that he has for a lot of the, um, uh, you know, character moments. You'll probably enjoy this. I wanted more from it. Um, I expected a lot more heavy stuff and less time, sort of, um, uh, investigations and flashbacks and whatnot. Um, I. I think I actually would have preferred this to have been much more concentrated on the present with the uh, child character, main character. Um, but overall, I mean, it was pretty good. If you're a fan of his work, I recommend you check it out. Um, right now, I think it's sitting in my fourth favorite from him, something like that. Um, I don't know if it's my least favorite from him. I'll have to sit on it. But even my least favorite from him, I mean, it's going to be a good movie. And I know kids and families will probably enjoy this. So, yeah, check it out if you can. And uh, I'm excited to see what he does next because he's, he's sort of the new prolific, um, uh, you the know, big player in Japanese anime yeah, films, uh, which, I mean, frankly, we're, we're severely lacking in directors in that department because – Miyazaki, who always comes out of retirement, uh, he's working on another film, but who knows how long that guy's going to live for. Uh, we lost uh, Takahata. Oh, I think you were about year. to say Stanley. Oh. No. <laughs> uh, we lost Takahata, I think it was last year, who was my one of my favorite uh, anime directors. Uh, he did Tale of Princess Kaguya. 
it was nominated and uh that was the ghibli snubbed film, right? yeah it was snubbed for the uh, foreign uh oscar that that is Which one of my favorite movies of all time by the way always happens yeah oh always um i mean it's it's uh i hope there's more you know directors that are going to pop up in that department so but for now hosted i will do so yeah that's my take on that so you got to see Widows? Yeah, Widows. You yeah. didn't see While that, While I was did you? watching Mirai, you were watching oh, yeah. this. Yeah. So Widows, 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 Widows. Um, Widows was made by Steve McQueen. Mm. He made 12 Years a Slave, Shame, Hunger, a bunch of really interesting films. Um, this film is it's a straightforward action film. It's mm. sort of being marketed as this... Oscar Woody psychological okay. drama action flick, but I think it's it's pretty much straightforward action film. It it has very progressive ideas. Mm. It's um very intense. There's there's one shot in particular where two characters are talking inside a car, and oh my god, that that, that shot is just amazing. Okay, you are following them on the road from the hood of the car, and you never see them inside the car, and they have this. Maybe ten minutes conversation, that is so interesting to listen them? to, and you never see them. What? That show was amazing. Crazy. You only okay. see them when they come out of the car. It's it's an insane shot. And besides that, I mean the action. The action sequences, the set pieces in this film are just really intense. The sound design is amazing. Mm-hmm. It's shot beautifully on thirty-five millimeter, I think. Um, each character feels very unique. I would okay. say, and that was that was impressive, but um, generally there's not too much I feel here that's like necessarily. I mean, it's not a film that I would want to see again, right? Right? It's it's a really nice action film that you could see in a theater and be really satisfied with. Okay, cool. But um, I mean, there was not too much that would make me want to see it again, but still, it's a very it's a very intense film. Okay. And there's, I don't, I don't want to give any spoilers, but there's a, I'll say there are twists. Oh, cool. Yeah, there are twists that are really engaging. There are twists that you would never expect, but that you would also expect at the same time. <laughs> so it's, um, it's definitely a great experience. Yeah. Okay, cool. Your favorite thing was that, that scene in the... Favorite thing? Yeah, I'd say, hmm... Favorite thing would definitely maybe be that scene. Okay, yeah. that scene was. I might have to watch. It just I think for that it, scene it was it was something really that I did not expect. And then my least favorite thing I'll say in general is that the whole film is just not believable. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that's never happening. Yeah. It has never happened. Um, and here's something also weird: every single character in this film is doing things that would be considered, I guess, immoral in our world today. But still, the director finds a way to separate those characters that you should like and those characters that maybe you should be... Maybe you shouldn't like. Mm-hmm. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say he necessarily wants us not to like any character in this world. I, I'll say it's a very amoral film, Right. Each character has their motivations, and it's up to you to decide whose character's motive. Each character has their motivations, and it's up to you to decide whose character's motivations you're going to support or not. Interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah, it sounds like a mixed bag, but I'll I'll check it out just because of that scene. A lot yeah. of people will love this. I yeah. mean, a lot of people are gonna love this. Right, and I'm Definitely. sure. I it's, mean, it's an intense know, film. I like Steve McQueen. Um, he's got sort of a uh, unique approach to the craft, so I'll probably check it out just to see what it's all about. Um, up next is a movie I got to see that you didn't. Um, we were, we were kind of out and about uh, different points, so. Uh, I got to watch Julien Schnabel's At Eternity's Gate, or at least the greater part of it. I unfortunately had to skip out on, like, a couple minutes. Um, but overall, this is sort of um, this kind of artistic approach to Van Gogh's life and uh, his vision of the world. Um, I would honestly say that this is one of my favorites of the festival, it is shot and performed in such a unique way. And if anyone is familiar with Julien Schnabel's work, uh, I actually had to miss his Q&A afterwards, which I was super bummed about. Um, but he has a very unique approach to cameras, and, um, and he can really draw out performance. I mean, Willem Dafoe in this movie is amazing. Uh, I love Willem Dafoe, but he really, yeah, this, really... This film has some of my favorite actors, yeah, by the way. Yeah, he really stuck to his guns here. Uh, Ah, uh, who's the guy that William plays Dafoe, Cezanne? William Matt, Matt Mikkelsen. Mm. What's his name? Oscar, Oscar, Oscar Isaac. Isaac. Yes, yeah. he plays I Cezanne. I love those three actors. Dude, he kind of plays a, like a like a not-so-nice guy. I mean, Cezanne and Van Gogh were friends, but, you know, He's really good at playing not-so-nice guys. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's fantastic, uh, the performances. Um, I will say that a lot of people will be thrown off by the way this is shot. It is very experimental for what it is, but it's so atmospheric. Oh my god. Can you god. put some more light into how it's a shot? No pun intended. Okay. So, uh the camera is very fluid and shaky. Um shaky. but in this I mean it fits because Van Gogh is a sort of shaken character and he has a sort of ethereal understanding of the world. Um you know, it was not kind to him. And uh I think the camera is really really good at evoking evoking that. It doesn't draw away from the performance or anything by any means. There are some really quiet moments that are actually elevated by the camera work, I think. I mean, there's like right off the bat, like 10 minutes in, there's crazy stuff that the camera is doing that you're like, I'm sure most audiences may not enjoy, but I loved it. Yeah, I mean, I really like the trailer because mm -hmm. that's what I've seen so far. Yeah, of it, and if you like I the can trailer, definitely see some of you will you know, like that the shaky movie. camera yeah. work. And one interesting thing about the trailer was that it sort of ties, I mean, we're living in a post Van Goghian mm -hmm. world, yeah. and it sort of draws lines to our present time there was this quote in the trailer which he says what if i'm making art for people who haven't been born yet right and yeah i mean he was, was very ahead of his time i mean uh, you know he got a lot of hatred and he was punished in society and the village that he was in uh you know when he was making this art um i mean it's tragic in a lot of ways this movie um it's so beautiful i mean i can't emphasize it enough i'm actually gonna go catch it again i think when i'm down in miami um awesome. yeah the soundtrack for this movie is incredible i mean it fits so well and it's it's beautiful there's um there's a lot of moments where i thought that um you know adding a soundtrack would make it overly cheesy and impressionistic but it it like it's I so impressionist by the way you, okay well yeah <laughs> but um the everything about this movie worked for me um you know, I have to make up for those minutes that I lost because I, I wanted more. Um, so one of my favorites of the festival for sure. If you can catch this one, 
please do. It's a little bit, um, it's very art housey. Um, so be prepared for that. But I mean, you know, everything worked for me. My favorite part about this film, it's really tough to say. Cause I mean, everything sort of, you know, exists together in a lot of the scenes. Um, but there are scenes in nature where Van Gogh is sort of confronting the world on his own and trying to understand it in his paintings. Like I actually cried at one point. It's like very powerful uh, images of nature. Um, I don't want to spoil anything, but like there's some there's some moments at least midway through that are like just ethereal to watch unfold. I think spoilers might be allowed for this film because I've seen Love and Vincent, which was the painted. Okay. Oh well, the animated I still film don't want and... to because I'll give you guys the expectation of 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 how to feel about something. Uh, it's a very visually intensive film. I mean, Van Gogh okay. was, you know, painting. Um, so, you know, be prepared to be bombarded by beautiful imagery. There's some interesting ways that lenses and uh, the glasses used in front of the camera to sort of distort it in the way Van Gogh saw the world, which is really cool, too, that I want to say is one of my favorite parts. Um, but, yeah, I I would have to say that the, the, the views of nature that are trying to give us some insight into Van Gogh's madness um you know are are beautiful to watch my least favorite that's tough i don't really have a least favorite part of this movie that's fair that's fair yeah so i think i need to rewatch it to fully appreciate it because again i didn't miss some of it uh this this festival was really hectic so um yeah go see it i mean i'm really excited about rewatching it this winter so cool cool so the next film we saw I think we both saw this one together. Oh boy! And it yeah. was it was sold as a director's choice. A yeah. very special secret film. Everyone was anticipating something amazing or special or great. Ugh. And it was a film called Stan and Ollie, which was well made, but also really, really boring. Incredibly and bland. Yeah. I don't think we're going to talk about that for too long. No, I mean this is the dude that did uh, Filth. Yeah, John which starred. Baird. Yeah. I mean th- that that was an amazing. I wouldn't say an amazing film, but mm. it was it was a very raunchy, very grungy gritty and, yeah, sort gritty. of yeah. crass film. And Stan and Oli is quite the opposite. It's, it's just totally like Hollywood marketable biopic sort of. Yeah, it's very tame yeah. and very safe. And it's about these two silent film, silent comedy film stars mm-hmm. who were at a turbulent time. I mean, relatively turbulent time in their career. And it just, you know, follows them through their life and mm-hmm. it is what it is yeah favorite nothing, thing nothing really least favorite yeah. thing is just boring yeah i mean yeah. it's very it fell flat for both of us there's i mean the production design there's obviously a lot of budget that was put in this movie the performances i guess are believable i, they, I mean there's a degree of separation between me and the film because i wasn't actually familiar with the comedians until this film um i mean i th- i'm sure i might have heard of them um but it felt very out of touch for the audience that was chosen for. I guess there's a market for this if you're familiar with the the work of the uh, main characters uh, who are these comedians. But um, yeah, I just was not sold on it. So, and then the next one, next one. Ah, yes. If Bill Street could talk. This was uh, both of one of our most anticipated films. Yeah, this mm-hmm. was. It was quite the experience. Yes. Um, this was made by Barry Jenkins, who also made Moonlight and Medicine for Melancholy. Mm-hmm. Um, 
if Bill Street could talk. It's a film that's based on a James Baldwin novel, and it's about. <laughs> okay. Um. Yeah. So this film is about two characters, Tish and Funny, and. Kiki Jane or Kiki Lane and Kiki uh, Lane Stephane and Stephane James. James. Yes, uh, respectively. they do a great job in this film, and I mean Tish. Tish and Funny have a very interesting relationship a very pure it feels pure yeah it feels me. it feels very pure and well they they something happens which is that funny is accused of raping someone a woman falsely accused yeah falsely accused of raping a woman and you know the film actually doesn't ever say he was falsely accused or not but we yeah, are but we try not to dwell on that. Yes. We assume and we think and yeah, we, we know. assume and I mean, I mean we, yeah. we that's what Baldwin envisioned, you know. It's, yes, yes, it's, definitely. It's there's no question about it. It's, it's injustice. This movie. That's true. It's it's about it's about injustice, mm-hmm. and I think it, it was definitely a conscious decision mm-hmm. that Barry Jenkins made to not actually show the truth about what happened. I don't think Baldwin does in the he, novel. He, he, he wants us, okay, yeah. Baldwin doesn't, yeah. He wants us to, you know, believe just by knowing these characters that they wouldn't... Yeah, I mean, you watch this You movie, know, be complicit in such an act. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah, Funny ends up in jail and Tish just goes on a journey to sort of deal with the child that she... Deal with the... I mean, just deal with the deal with the fact that she has a child and that Funny is in jail and she tries her best to work to get Funny out of jail. Mm-hmm. And it's a very, well, it's a very powerful story. Yeah, it's very powerful and the way that Barry Jenkins hal- handled it. Uh, he's got a lot of sort of um, restraint here. Um, there's like a lot of solemn, quieter moments. Um, it's not as loud as I was expecting. It's actually very much. Uh, I mean, he's he's always you know influenced by all these sort of it, new it, Taiwanese cinema and whatnot. So it it feels very much like this slow, burning tale of injustice. Um, yes. This um, was actually beautifully performed by all the actors. Um, I think we can both agree the cinematography is amazing as usual. Yes, yes. It's very, it's very James Laxton. Mm-hmm. It's. It's um it's muddy, but not necessarily in a negative way. And there's a lot of vibrant greens and reds. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's funny you said it's sort of a quiet film because it has a very powerful soundtrack. Yeah, it's very loud. Oh, the soundtrack's fantastic. Yeah, I, I listened to it again. It came out this week. Yes. So. Oh, this one yeah. song called Agape is mm-hmm. amazing. <laughs> um. So yeah, I think Stephen James and Regina King for me. But Regina King is amazing in this movie. Yeah. Um, I, she's done a lot of, I think, more stage work than film work, from what I understood. I know I've seen her in other stuff, but uh, she really carries this film as this strong matriarchal character, uh, supporting her daughter and, uh, you know, working through the injustice. Yeah, yeah. Th- there's a scene where she goes to confront someone, mm-hmm. which was just amazing. I mean, I've never seen anything like that. It's all she does in that scene is react to what's happening, but it was, it was really powerful. There's a lot of scenes in this film that just really got to me. It's, I mean, it's a lot to confront. Yeah, for sure. So favorite thing about it? Favorite thing for me, whoa. 
I mean, there's so much. Um, I'm going to talk about one scene in particular. It's not necessarily my favorite thing, but I'm mm. just going to talk about it. There is, there's a sex scene in this film that was directed in a way that was very strange, and it's not. I've never, s- I've not seen a lot of sex scenes that are treated in that way. It almost felt like I was watching. I mean, it felt like I was there. There was a certain awkwardness in the scene mm-hmm. that I think is translated well to the audience. These characters have grown up together all their lives, and then you feel that they are they are making a very, very big decision. Yeah, and it's I mean, it's shown so well on the screen that it's a big decision. I think Barry Jenkins did a great job about that. It's it funny you mentioned. I'd never really thought about it that much till you brought it up right now. But it's it's extremely well it's, translated. Yeah to the audience this sort of shift in the relationship um then um is beautiful, i'll say so. yeah least favorite thing for me um while did a very very great job at the same time there was some i think she sort of is the word traverse yeah she sort of traverses through a very timid character and a very strong character and this this um this bipolarity is almost a bit hard to accept. It demands a lot from yeah. from from a lead uh, like that because it's. I mean, it's. Uh, well, the film is told mostly from this chronological, you know, uh, yeah, point of view. But um, you know, there's development there that has to be really subtle, and it's a strong. It's a strong change for this character too, because she's become this sort of single woman uh, defending yeah. herself against the world. Um, I I will agree that it was questionable at times for me as well. And um, I just have to mention this scene too. I'm sorry, but I really liked a particular scene where she was talking about her relationship to the baby inside her stomach. I mm. think it was done so well. Um, I I can't say too much about it, but I mean the narration and just the visuals in that scene and the music were just amazing. So that would be added to my favorite things about the film. Okay, how about you? Okay. Um, my favorite thing about the film was the way it decided to treat uh the conversation the conversations that happen uh between two characters um there's like several moments where just two characters are speaking and i think the dialogue that happens in those scenes and the way they're directed are extremely strong um there's one scene in particular we haven't mentioned yet between two men the main character and another that he finds uh on the street and they sort of uh, reunite um that scene is incredibly interesting because it's edited and shot in this very strange way uh that actually helped um fuel the tension in the scene a lot uh because it's not it it's it's a conversation that leads towards a dark place um i was very impressed with that scene i think it might be one of my parts of the movie um the cinematography is beautiful i love laxton's work so um i mean there are some decisions uh, in terms of you know, uh, how shallow they're going a lot that is kind of overbearing at times. Um, but I mean, it's very much a romantic film uh, that it does have this sort of uh, nostalgic and, uh, you know, I guess it's kind of sad um, it feel to it. So the cinematography definitely accentuates that. My least favorite part of this movie, though, um, would have to be how um, the narration I'm I'm a very hit or miss guy on narration, uh, but the narration and how it works uh, in terms of the story structure, because it is 
fairly tied together through the narration, and I think it could have done without that. Oof. Yeah, so I love. I'll argue you on that one. Okay, so feel free to chime in here, but um, I feel that um, you know, it is this personal standpoint on this film, but there are also uh other characters involved that I don't think uh, at least I thought spoke louder than her performance, Kiki Lane, in the first place. That I wasn't sold on the narration as much as I should have been. Um, I mean, for the most part, it works to tie these scenes together because it is very much a novelistic uh you know adaptation it feels very much like a book um i'm honestly that isn't my least favorite part of the film it's just something that kind of irked me at some points um hmm my least favorite thing might be kind of hard because there's nothing that's immediately bad um when i look back at the film um i think there's there's something to be said about maybe how romanticize some of it is in terms of the production design and how the how the characters are being presented at some points it feels a little oversappy for me especially considering baldwin who is this really angry guy at the world um there's some actually it's cool because uh barry sort of balances that out with these angry documentary like um inserts of yeah. photos from i forget the photographer's name about uh you know in new york um you know talking about black injustice and whatnot um so that kind of balanced out there but you know at some points it felt a little too sappy for what it was um overall i mean i liked it a lot yeah though, it's, so. i mean it's a great film it's going to be out in theaters real soon mm-hmm. so go see it for sure i go will see. say i like moonlight more <laughs> of course same <laughs> yeah same so, but this is a great film i mean too. i'm a miami boy so <laughs> <laughs> cool next so next is Yes. The favorite. Oh, my favorite, you mean. Which was the favorite <laughs> at the festival. Yes, so the favorite was definitely uh, my favorite. Yogos so. Lantimos is back again with some crazy crazy shenanigans. Crazy stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't even know how to describe this movie. <laughs> this is a film about twisted, manipulative, depraved characters playing games with each other. Mm-hmm. And it is just insane. It is bonkers. It is. The characters are just. I mean, it's hilarious, <laughs> it's hilarious. and tragic it and <laughs> freaky. It's everything I love about Lanthimos that I wasn't getting from a lot of his other films. This it's, is my favorite work from him now. So, uh, I mean, where should I even start with? So, okay. So, well, well, we can sort of you know elaborate a little more because this is kind of this sort of postmodern take on a monarchical sort of uh, yeah. Uh, palace and and characters and i mean it takes place in in england i'm assuming in i don't know 1600 something like that right yeah and yeah. We, we spend most of our time in this castle mm-hmm. and i guess our point of view in this film uh, we have several points of view but the one that i guess we start with is of emma stone's character yes. who is this very plain maid that you know, goes to well, find she a wasn't relative a maid in a castle yes yeah, she, she used to be a lady yes. which but there's really funny there's a funny story behind that too, even though yeah. it's super tragic. You know what I mean? Um, he twists everything in this sort of humoristic way that it's like, I don't know if this, th- if I should be laughing at this or feel incredibly, you know, disturbed by it. But <laughs> I mean, it's okay. I, I was, I wasn't too disturbed by anything because I feel like these are very realistic characters. When, when you, when you, I mean, when you get to that, when you really dumb it down, they are pretty. Yeah, you know, I mean, considering the time that they existed yeah. in. Mm-hmm. 
they are they are very strange but at the same time well the way they speak we'll get so to believable. it we'll get to it but yeah um so yeah Emma Stone's character is this lowly maid who travels to find a relative in the castle and she works her way from the bottom to the top. And there are puns that are intended in that message. But um, <laughs> when you go see the film, you'll understand. Um, yeah, it's the production design in this. It's amazing. The performance is phenomenal. Oh my God. Uh, there is this one scene where Rachel Weiss is carrying a candle yes. and... She sees an an act which she's really disturbed by, and as the as she progresses from where she sees that act to sort of like a solitary place, she transitions from lighting from high key lighting mm-hmm. to low key lighting until she is sort of the singular character yeah, in the shot, only kind of lit by her candle, yeah. and it's it's just amazing. Yeah, so I mean, there's so much you know formalistic elements that are making this what it is it's it's i mean everyone was on the top of their game when making this movie you can tell the actors the cinematography the production design the the writers the the editing everything it's this over stylized postmodern mess of hilarious you know and i mean shenanigans i mean i'm sure they had a lot of fun making this film. oh for sure yeah i can only imagine insane um yeah, so I mean, what was your favorite part, I guess? Yeah, um my favorite part. Well, favorite part I'm going to have to mention. I mean, <laughs> there's so much that I loved about this oh, film yeah. that we've not even been able to talk about. I wish we had enough time, but um favorite part I guess would be that scene that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. The lighting in that scene was just insane. The lighting I mean, overall. I mean, the use of candles in this film is is insane. I I just want to give props to um I just want to give props to Nicholas Holt for oh yeah, his a, a great performance in this film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, I mean, all the performances, just all the performances yeah. are just hilarious and just amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a great film. That's my favorite thing, least favorite thing. Honestly, I don't think I have least favorite thing. I'll just say I wish the third act sort of moved on faster. Oh, okay, but yeah. still, I mean, this film is just like insane from start to finish. It's wildly it's unlike incredible. anything else I've incredible. seen this year. So my favorite thing about this film is the way that all of the characters come together in this strange manner of speaking and acting and performing. It's it's all very much like a like a stage play that we're watching. Yes. It's incredibly self aware. And it knows that it's it's really messing with the audience, even though it contains very disturbing language and imagery at some points. Um, and there's just these quirky habits that Lanthimos really, you know, uh, tunes into that make the film what it is. Um, I mean, really, I I love so much about this movie. I could gush about it for hours, but um, you know, I will say that my favorite thing is how the the set pieces and the characters come to life together. Um, and I guess I should mention. <clears throat> I guess I should mention also the end is uh, unlike anything I've uh, ever seen before. The final shot of this film. The final shot of this film is iconic. I think like this is how you would have to define Lanthimos from now on. Yes. It's. I mean, I um, I enjoyed Dogtooth. A lot of the others were hit or miss for me. Um, Lobster was great. The lobster. This is, m- this is him uh, understanding what he's trying to bring to film for me. 
Yeah, this is um this is definitely like how the paint the how the painters during the Renaissance would have a masterpiece. Right. This which is was, exact, this is it. You know, so that's seminal piece mm-hmm. of work, right? Like this um whatever, scratch that. Um this 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 definitely feels like his opus. It's um mm-hmm. it's just grand in many ways. It's it's such a strong work of such yeah, a strong it, work of it's, art. It's it's a huge statement on what his creative um you know outlook is um i think that uh it's also probably one of the most postmodern films i've ever seen i'm you know there's a that word carries a lot of weight to it but i mean the way that it just rearranges and reincorporates elements of filmmaking and and just styles and you know past uh influences that are evident in this film I mean Stanley Kubrick who like this is I yes, I, it's, I love I this mean, film more than Barry Lyndon. Um it's such a strange bizarre tale of mishaps and uh just overall tomfoolery. Yeah. Uh, um, my least favorite thing would have to be that it isn't longer or I just want to <laughs> be immersed more in these crazy characters lives. So you'd watch an HBO miniseries. I would watch an 8-hour version of this movie <laughs> if I could. You know, it's so outrageous and funny. Um, yeah, I'll say if you like the lobster, yeah, just go see this. Mm-hmm. This is like the next logical progression in yes. terms of of that kind yes. of style of filmmaking. Um, yeah, I uh, I think it's probably my favorite this year so far. I think uh, it has to be, un- un- until I give Cold War another watch and it blows me away. Maybe, but I don't think that's gonna happen more so than this movie. <laughs> so, moving on, the hate you give. The hate, the hate you, you give. give. The hate you give. Okay. This one is really interesting. I would have never seen this film if it wasn't at the festival, but mm-hmm. I'm so glad that I saw it. The hate you give. Um, I think it's based on a book. It is. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it was published un- before the movie or not. It might have been worked off the manuscript. I can't remember. They mentioned okay. it. Uh, so it stars Amanda Sternberg. And I think this is one of the best works that she has done. And it's about this high schooler who is. She lives in a in in a in a neighborhood that's sort of in a lower income area, and she goes to a high school where I guess upper class kids go to, and so she has to deal with being different versions of herself in these two different spaces, and there's also a lot of racial tension. Because the area that she, the neighborhood that she lives in, and most of her childhood friends are African American, and the school that she goes to is populated by mostly Caucasian kids. And the film sort of deals with this idea of her having different versions of herself. And at the same time, something. Something happens, which is. Tragic. Yeah, it, a tragic thing Very happens. Tragic. I was looking for that word. Where I don't know if this is a spoiler. No. Well, okay. Because when I I saw the trailer of that film and I and and I that? did not really see that coming. Okay, then yeah. So, so don't. I'm going to say it. that's a spoiler, but yeah. there is something that happens in this film that's tragic, and this tragic event is sort of tied to her, and this film just bombards you with yeah a lot of a lot of things that you. Well, a lot of things that are sort of challenging, I guess. And um, the film is really interesting because the first act of the film, it's this like very kitschy and very, very, very modern 
um high school type of flick yeah. and then when the second co- when the second act comes it just like hits you in the face and it's a roller coaster that just mm-hmm. keeps going it's it was a really um surprising delight that's what i see about it mm-hmm. i have very mixed views on this film um because like you said the second act there is some incredibly well done stuff uh in that section of the movie but i think that parts of the 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 rest of the film drag it down so much for me that i can't appreciate the statement he's trying to make as much um the story is definitely powerful there's a lot of moments that are extremely potent, and especially in today's context. Um, so it's ambitious what he's trying to do, George Tillman, uh, the director. Um, and, you know, like you said, the performance is overall really well done. Um, it's a lot to take in, like you said. It bombards it you. So, um, Favorite thing about this film, I'd say, is, I'd say is the plot, right? Um, the film has all the right, I think it has all the right moments, like those cinematic moments, those cinematic checkpoints that I guess the film should have. And even though it's shot in, I'll say it's shot in a way that's very, it's very modern in the sense that I think music videos have have sort of had an influence on cinema. And that influence, you sort of feel it in this film. It's definitely not made in an artsy style, right? It's yeah. It's um, it's popular cinema, but it's it still feels so strong. At least for me, it was it was a very strong film, and I think the story, the story was just really good. It's rough around the edges, but it's it's such a great story. Um, least favorite thing for me, honestly, I don't have a least favorite thing. I think most of the things in this film worked for me. I I might have I might have liked it even more if it was if some of the narration was cut down. Yeah, I think that's the one thing that I think I would Oh right, I, would, I forgot there was yeah, narration in this, yeah. That I would maybe change about this film. But I mean it's for me it's such a great film. I just wish there was less narration. Um yeah, that's it for me. Okay. So for me, my favorite thing about this film are the performances easily and um especially some of the dialogue like a lot of the character writing is actually extremely well done there are moments that um that uh the main character and her family speak and it feels incredibly real and uh personal um you know i don't want to spoil anything but there's a moment that happens in the front yard of their house that is probably my favorite moment moment of the film because it speaks loads about the characters and it also moves the story forward in this very um intense way um it sort of kind of you know uh makes us realize that their world has changed for them immediately i mean their immediate world has uh sort of been broken um by the events that have uh, happened in the film um so uh my least favorite part of this film would have to be how a lot of the interactions uh between um large groups of characters happen a lot of the staging feels very commercial i mean you mentioned that the cinematography itself has this very sharp and digital uh like music video almost style feel i don't know if it works for the movie though it makes it feel at some points like i'm watching a music video yeah uh, when i I mentioned the music video influence it's 
not some it's not even just cinematography like a lot of the stylistic right a lot of the acting this. even i would yeah. i would say i can attribute to it, it's got this very um stylized uh f- uh feel to it um you know i so you know my least favorite parts being how they handle the large groups of uh characters there's some dialogue that i really hate in this movie that drags it down a lot i mean i know that they're trying to appeal to a very large audience here so they're trying to incorporate some it could be more nuanced pretty cringy things yeah i mean there it could be more nuanced like i understand it is a high school character that we're dealing with so a lot of these moments do actually um you know work to help us understand her more and actually make her more likable i don't know if they all work though um so you know a lot of those moments dragged it down for me and um you know it felt too hollywood for the statement it was trying to make it felt very commercial, and I think that hurt a lot of the personality of the film. Um, I think it ended yeah. relatively strongly. I think there's incredible moments in the in the middle parts of the film uh, that are worth revisiting. Uh, but the rest, I mean, it was really hit or miss. It it didn't strike the balance I wanted from it. Um, it's you know, there's a it's a challenging film to make. So I have to give props to Tillman for what he's done. Um, but yeah, those are yeah, my thoughts um, on it. I'd say. Please go see that film. Mm-hmm. If even though it looks, even if it looks like something that you wouldn't want to see, yeah, I mean, I just think you should definitely go ahead. It's it's a great film. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's uh, you know crazy stuff that happens in that movie that yeah, I wasn't expecting. Crazy stuff. So yeah, um, I guess the Moving final. Moving on to the final film, movie. Green Book, which mm. was such a great way, at least for me, to end the festival. It's this is this is the feel good movie of the year. Um, it has the highs, it has the lows, it has everything that you go to the cinema for. The film is about the life of Don Shirley as seen By Tony. through the life of Tony Lee. Tony Lee. Right. Yeah. And prior to watching this film, I knew nothing about both personalities. Well, I don't think most people would know about this driver of his, so <laughs> yeah. yeah. But um I mean it was such it was such such a good watch such a good watch it was um, very fun it was i think the most fun i had yeah i mean it was so much fun and it also has the challenging moments and the emotional moments that would i mean push push you the viewer but it was it was so much fun and it was so well done so balanced it's it's just really entertaining that's what i'll say about this film and it looks good it looks really good yeah i mean for a movie about a dude driving around another dude it's i mean it's a road trip movie but i mean it's it's about other things that are hinted at but are aren't the focus i mean the focus of this movie really is a look at this moment between these two characters lives that actually happened and uh it just happened to be humorous i mean you know i kind of like that um there's a lot of criticism that has been targeted at this movie is that it wasn't as socially uh aware yeah, um, people say it's a bit outdated. It's a little outdated, but I mean, uh, you know, that's not what the movie's trying to say. Yeah, I, I think in some ways there, there were some things that weren't confronted. I think mm-hmm. in this film, which maybe could have, but it's I agree. It's still a good. F- it's still a feel good film, and yeah. you do feel good when you watch it. I think it sets out exactly for what it's trying to accomplish, which is a testament to the writers and producers and the director. Um, you know, it's well shot, awesomely performed. The, the chemistry between Mortensen and Mahershala, were, it was fantastic to watch unfold. I mean, great digital cinematography. I'd say that. Yeah, I mean, it felt really, really enjoyable to watch. Um, well, yeah, um, it's a really interesting film. It You feel the presence of 
the color green in the cinematography right, and yeah, production I mean, design, book, but it's not know? so overwhelming. <laughs> yeah. It's, I, I just like the way it was handled. It's, it's sort of like a teal, teal, tealish type teal, of color. Green, but, um, yellows, and it's, it's, I mean, it's so good. It's, it's got so a good. lot of stylistic flair. Um, you know, it's, I mean, it's just a crowd pleaser overall. I think everyone that yeah. I talked to enjoyed this movie, so I'm sure. I'm actually betting on it being a box office hit. I think it hits this I mean, Thanksgiving. I hope so. Yeah, I think it's going to be. There's great word of mouth, and I I mean, I really have to emphasize it deserves it. Um, you know, it was definitely not trying to challenge its audience so much as give it this wholesome experience. Yeah. It was very funny at, at certain points. As, as crass and crude as it might have been, it was very fun to watch. Comedic timing was great. Yeah. And, I mean, there are very sad moments in this film, too, and it's so well-timed. And the structure of this film is just yeah, perfect. I'm going to have to go see it again with my family because, well, actually, my sister did get to watch it, but my parents, I think, would like this a lot. Yeah, I mean, so. I would definitely watch this again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, watch this with people. You have yeah, to, you have to watch this film with people, movie, by the way. I you think. have to watch it with people. Yes. Yeah, definitely watch it with others. Do not see it's it alone. Last to watch with, uh, yeah. you know, an, an audience. Um, um, favorite thing, least favorite thing? My favorite thing about this movie, I think, is um, the performances from Herschel and Vigo. Um, I think uh, there's a lot to be said about the chemistry, and I don't think the film would be nearly as enjoyable as it is without them. Um, they really are the core of this movie. Um, I mean, it, there's there's a lot of heartfelt moments in this movie that I don't think are necessarily potent on their own, but they make me feel like I want them to be. Um, you know, they've got a really good sort of brotherhood going on. Um, you know, I, I think... Uh, that is sort of my highlight uh, from the movie. My least favorite part, hmm. I guess like you mentioned, like it could have maybe delved more into some of the issues they were facing. Because I mean, they were immediate issues they were facing throughout the film in their lives. Um, I guess it could have been touched on more, but I don't really think it hurt the movie that much. It actually might have helped it because you don't want to get too heavy on some of that stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, and it also is from the perspective of you know, the memory of the the producer and writer's father. I mean, you know, it feels very much like a recollection of, you know, one of your parents or something. So, um, you know, I don't think that it's uh, it's got a lot working against it. How about you? Yeah, favorite thing is for me is definitely that structure and timing, like the, the comedic timing, mm-hmm. the timing of the sad moments and just the structure of the whole film. It's, I mean, from start to finish, this film does not bore you. This film is just, I mean... It's just great. Mm-hmm. It's just great. And I think it was so well made. Like, everything is just in complete synthesis. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like it was a blast to, to make. So yeah. that's why it was a blast it was to a watch. And um, least favorite, coming back to what you said, mm-hmm. I think um, Tony Lip's character could definitely be... Well, it was presented in a way that was very, I guess very advantageous to him mm. i think yeah like and uh, benefiting his persona yeah so and if yeah if it wasn't written by his son the film might have been explored in some okay. other way yeah. but i still really enjoyed it and i think the son definitely deserves to tell that story yeah from the perspective of his father and i think it's an amazing film yeah it's definitely got this personal touch to it um you know now that you mentioned that performance uh, you know, I think uh, it is incredibly telling of how the writer decided to approach the story, and uh, it works. 
uh, for the most part. So, yeah, glad we both enjoyed that one a lot. It was a good way to end the festival. festival. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really awesome way to end the festival. Um, So now we've sort of covered everything we've seen. Yes. This has been an extremely long episode. So thank you for hanging in, uh, guys. Um, It's really a blast to talk about all these movies. Um, Very exciting time for cinema. Yeah. You know, it gets me, you know, every time I. I, It was an amazing year. Yeah, amazing year. It's yeah. it gets me excited about the future all the time when I watch all these movies. Um, so yeah, go see Cold War, Roma. Hell, go see all of them if you want. I mean, all of them. I it's mean, up all to of you. them. If Bill Street could talk, the favorite, the HG, Green Book, go yeah. see all those films. Let us know what you think of yeah. each of them. <laughs> um, you so, know, we enjoyed a large part of them. I wish I could have seen more because we had even more than same. this available. Um, so I'm I'm excited about next year what they're going to be offering already. Um, yeah. So yeah, our next episode. So next episode, uh, we're gonna be sort of diving back into our usual format. Um, we're gonna be covering a sort of different kind of film than what we've been doing. So uh, this is an Austrian film um, directed by Gott Spielmann called Revanche. Revanche. Yes. So um, it's um, I think actually is this the first color movie we're doing? <laughs> Aside from all the others? Yeah. No? No. The no, color, we did color, the color of pomegranate, pomegranate. Oh, well, was colored. Um, but all of the movies we've been talking about, I noticed, actually take place in the 60s. Oh, in the 60s. Every single movie we've watched has taken place in the 60s. So I didn't realize we were on that trend. Uh, but we are switching it up. This is a 2008 film, um, you know, directed by a contemporary European director. Um, it's also probably set in the same year in which it was made. Uh, potentially. I mean, it's hard to say, but I, I would yeah. say so. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's unique and I'm, in, I'm excited to, uh, to talk about it. It's, it's intense. Uh, there's a lot of strange things going on and, uh, look forward to, uh, seeing you guys next episode. Yes. The, see you guys in the next episode. This has been dailies, a film podcast. <laughs>